It's the e-commerce master plan podcast here to help you grow your e-commerce business faster and more efficiently by cutting through the hype to bring you inspiration and guidance from the e-commerce sector and beyond. Here's your host, Chloe Thomas. Hello, Master Plan World. Welcome to our latest podcast. It is, as it always, it's an absolute pleasure to have you listening. I'm Chloe Thomas, creator of the e-commerce Master Plan, author, speaker and consultant, and I focus on e-commerce business strategy and marketing. Now, in the last episode, I interviewed Judith Trainer, founder of Temples and Markets, who grew her sales to £10,000 per month in her first year primarily using email marketing. It's episode 91 if you want to go and check that one out. So that ties in quite nicely with this special bonus episode I have for you today. So stick around to listen to this one before you go back to listen to Judith, uh, because this session is going to take your email marketing knowledge to the next level. You may remember Skip Fedura of Dotmailer from the Experts View shows that we put together at the beginning of the year. Well, I've invited Skip back because yesterday Dotmailer launched their brand new Hitting the Mark report, And I wanted him to bring you the key takeaways from it. So rather than me tell you any more about it, let's get Skip in on the conversation. Hi, Skip. Hey, Chloe. How are you doing? I'm good, thanks. How are you? I'm very good, thank you. Excellent. So before we get into the key lessons, takeaways, uh, and so forth from the report, could you please enlighten everybody listening to what the Hitting the Mark report is all about? Sure. Um, Actually, the Hitting the Mark report is, I want to say it's in its eighth or ninth year. Um, it's something that we at Dotmailer have been doing um, for a while now. And what we've done historically, and again this year, is looked at the top e-commerce brands or a cross-section of e-commerce brands, both here in the UK and in the US, um, and basically evaluated their their shopping experience and email marketing program, how those two things tie together, um, applied a scoring methodology to that, and then basically uh, ranked them put together a league table. And so there must be, a, you know, other than just the league table of those top retailers, there must be quite a lot you've learned in terms of things you can't believe they're not doing, things that are amazing that they're doing and, and things which our listeners can can kind of swipe and deploy. Yeah, I, you know, I think the key the, for me, the big takeaway is so many times I go in and speak to a client and they're like, you know, they say, oh, I just don't have the budgets of the of the big players i don't have the i don't have the same kind of budget or manpower or you know data that you're going to get from some of the high street brands so i just i just can't compete and the takeaway from this report uh, for me is you can compete uh for reasons that i can't fully explain the big budget (laughs) players don't always do email marketing well don't always tie their email marketing uh and their email programs into their purchase experience well so if you've got the ability to start small and scale quickly, you can really steal a march on uh, some of these bigger players. Well, so you're seeing some of the kind of the newcomers to the market do a lot better email marketing, a lot more successful email marketing than the, the biggest of the big retailers. Yeah, I guess, uh, you know, so the, the, the winner, the overall winner of mm-hmm. the Hitting the Mark report was uh, or is uh, ASOS. So I'm not sure if you can call them new. They've been going for 16, 17 years now. Um, but in terms of, you know, being a pure play digital, um, I think a lot of companies like that benefit from the fact that they grew up more in a data aware age. Mm-hmm. So they, 
you know, aren't dealing with the 60, 70, 80 legacy databases um, that they're trying to tie together. They're not dealing with um, data that's years and years old uh, or uh, even if it is years and years old, that they know where it came from. They know its provenance. They've been communicating with it. And uh, they've, you know, the, the, they've kind of been on point all the way through the journey. They're not, mm-hmm. they're, I guess what I'm saying is their business was built around uh, this kind of digital communication. Whereas I think some of the other more traditional high street retailers um, and even some e-com retailers, their business wasn't designed around, you know, a customer centric uh, approach, a customer centric communication approach. And let's just just dwell on that for a second, that customer-centric communication approach. We're talking not just about batch and blast every week. We're talking about tailored welcome sequences, tailored post-purchase campaigns, and so forth to really make sure the customer's getting quality, quality-relevant communications. Exactly. What I like to talk about when I'm sitting with clients is all you're really doing is having a conversation. You know, the, the act of selling, the process of selling hasn't changed in the last... 300 years. Um, somebody needs something, somebody else has it, you negotiate a price, it meets the, the, you know, the customer's needs and away you go. Um, I think what's, what's changed is the scale at which we do it. You know, gone are the days of the local shop where the local shopkeeper knew everybody in his neighborhood, saw, you know, the people in his neighborhood on the street, in the pub, in the church on Sunday, you know, knew them and knew what they wanted. And therefore he tailored his message Every time somebody different came in, the notion of having a customer experience, customer journeys would probably make that, you know, that shopkeeper just fall down laughing um, (laughs) as ridiculous. Um, You know, what we have now is we are now selling to thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, millions of people potentially around the globe. So we have to be able to have these same kind of interactions, these same kind of tailored experiences at a much bigger scale. So the brands that get it understand that and they don't seem to rely on the technology as a panacea or silver bullet. They use the technology as an enabler to deliver those human conversations at scale. And from my experience as well, I would say it's the companies who they they think about the conversation first and then work out how to do it with the technology rather than getting a bit excited about the latest widget. Um, Widget first idea second is is always a bad way to play it in my experience you've got to think message first widget second um so skip let's get into a few of the real takeaways from this what was what's been kind of like the most the the biggest lesson you've seen from the hitting the mark report that that the listeners could use and deploy in their businesses um i think again the biggest takeaway uh, the biggest opportunity is a better way to phrase it mm-hmm. uh, for your listeners to to really improve and and kind of move up uh, and start nipping at the heels of the their bigger competitors is some of the really simple stuff. I was amazed by the number of uh, brands that didn't do abandoned basket. I was really? amazed by the number of brands that didn't do even the simplest welcome program. Uh, I was amazed by the number of brands that you know we wanted. Okay, we were doing a research report, so we wanted to sign up for their email, but we're sure that their customers want to get communications from them as well. And you have to go, you know, it's sort of like Indiana Jones in the hunt for the subscription form. Um, 
So <clears throat> I think those th- three really simple things, um, you get those right, and then you're laughing. And then you can start thinking about some other stuff, like how do I make payments easier? Um, can I start to embed payments into the email itself? Um, you know, what? how can I strip down the barriers between somebody wanting to buy something and, you know, them actually getting it delivered to their house. Okay. I'm going to come back to those kind of three, three great opportunities. The, um, the Bannon baskets, the welcome program and the, the site making the sign up easy in a second. But first I know some of our listeners will be going, what payments into the email itself. Uh, that's, that's intriguing. How do you do that? So let's do, let's do kind of that one first and then we'll, then we'll go back to the, the more simple winning winning items. So what, what are you talking about, Skip, when you say actually putting the payment method there in the email? Are we putting like a full PayPal checkout gateway in there? Um, so we've got a, a new feature um, that does include a PayPal payment gateway. Um, depending on the implementation in either our platform and in other people's platforms, uh, you may not get a, the, the full gateway. So it, you, you may not be communicating back to your stock levels. So it's not necessarily appropriate if you've got a finite amount of stock Mm-hmm. Or uh, you're selling, uh, you know, something that's got lots and lots of options to it. Uh, but if you've got something that's relatively generic, you got lots of it, or it's a digital thing, um, you know, yeah, you, there's a button right in the email. You click the button, and it takes you to the, you know, the PayPal payment confirmation page. You hit submit, and you got it right um, wow. straight away. Um, and obviously, all the PayPal stuff. Uh, you know, PayPal processes the payment and the money goes into the merchant's account. Uh, we've also had clients that have um, tested, including Apple Pay in emails. Um, so I think one of the things that's going to be happening a lot in 2017 is you're going to see a lot of, uh, I think that's really going to take off. You're going to start seeing um, a lot greater opportunity to put payments right in the email, to have an email that's very focused on a single product that says, right, you want this, click here, buy now. And is, are people using that, the consumers this is, using that on, on uh, mobile only, or are they using that on desktop as well? Um, that's an interesting question. I'm not sure that we've I've seen, I, we don't have any data um, to, to say that there, there's a preference for using that on mobile or desktop um, specifically. You know, I think a lot of, um, I think it will take off on mobile. It will make people a little bit more comfortable um, when shopping on the mobile device. Nobody, you know, first off, shopping on a mobile device, entering your credit card on your phone is just a nightmare. Filling out the delivery forms on your phone is a nightmare. Mm-hmm. And you know, and so any brand that already has the ability for me to create an account, go in, register for that account, you know, sorry, go in, log into that account, and it's already got all those details. Great, it's got a credit card saved. Great. You know, those brands are already seeing much greater take up on mobile purchasing than those that can't do that. I think this will take it just one step further because it's it all feels very inside, if you will. It feels like I'm inside that um, brand experience from the email to the PayPal page. Um, you know, I think you will see people take that up uh, and uh, it works just as well on both devices. So. Um, at the end of the day, it's it's really going to come down to where are they when they get the email and are they ready to purchase? Wow, cool. Okay, let's let's go back to kind of those fundamentals that you're seeing even the biggest retailers not bothering with, because uh, that's certainly a big opportunity for everybody out here listening. Uh, so the first one is you said about no abandoned baskets, and that's something which 
you know, I, I find it slightly crazy that any, pretty much any retailer wouldn't have an abandoned basket system given how simple they can be to set up these days. So, um, so you've got any, any kind of recommendations or advice for anyone who's planning on setting up theirs for the first time or want to make it work a bit better? Well, so if you don't have one, get one. Um, <laughs> that's, you know, sometimes the uh, advice is pretty, pretty obvious. That's cool. No, we don't mind. <laughs> Obvious no, advice think, is good. <laughs> yeah. Um, if you've been sitting there thinking, hmm, I'm not sure, definitely get one. Um, just to, to um, put it into context, uh, and this is a brand that's not you know, hitting the mark report, but we have a client that recently introduced an abandoned basket program and um, more than covered the cost of the program with the very first abandoned email they sent. Whoa. Now, okay, they've got a big, it's a big ticket item. It's, it's, it's uh, a travel brand. So not every retailer is going to be able to pull that off. But given the opportunity, you know, if, if you need any justification, look at your basket abandonment rate. What's the average value of those baskets? And then just figure out how much, how many baskets would I have to reclaim to cover my monthly cost? And the number is usually ridiculously low. Yeah. So what you end up with is everything over covering the cost is going right to the bottom line. Um, and so doing it is a no brainer. Um, as I said, to, you know, think big, but start small and scale quickly. Starting small with an abandoned basket is have a one step abandoned basket program. An hour after the basket's abandoned, send an email or an hour and a half or two hours, you know, test it, see which works, what works for you. Get yeah. that up, get that up and running start to look at your results, start to count the cash that's coming in, and then think, how can I make this better? So a lot of our clients will have a two or three step program. So the first one goes out, say an hour after, the next one goes out 24 hours after, and the third one goes out three, four, five, seven days, something like that. And start to play around with the timings, because what you'll find is some timings work better than others. And, and really, you know, tweak, tweak one thing at a time so that you know you're that the result is due to that one change. And then if it works, keep, keep going. If it doesn't work, roll back and try something else. So that's the, you know, start small with one scale, add a second, add a third, and then start to think about what other data you have that might help inform some of the timings for your program. So we're working with another brand here in the UK that they've got a three, they, they had a one step program. We went to a three-step program, proved that that worked better, very much as I just described. And then we started thinking about how can we tweak the timings. And one of the things that kind of was an offhand comment that the e-com manager said is, well, you know, our highest conversion rate is, is uh, late in the day on Sundays. Ah, well, why don't we send the third email on Sunday afternoons and, and make it a, you know, very much a, hey, your basket is about to expire kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, so far it was, it's still in test mode, but it, it looks like it's going to be the clear winner. Um, because you know, people go, they look, I honestly don't believe that most people abandon because they're looking for a better price or they, you know, whatever. I think most people abandon because they've set aside X amount of time to focus on this task. They get something in the basket and they've run out of time, you know, and this perception is, I think with most consumers is I get something in the basket and I'm only halfway there. I still have to, you know, go through the rest of the checkout um, process. So I put something in the basket. I'll come back to it later. You know, I'm um, thinking about it, whatever. 
Um, I guess so it's, advantage- it's kind of something to say to the, to those people out there going, Oh, it feels a bit intrusive setting the customers a reminder that their basket's there. But actually the majority of customers find it a useful service. Yeah. Rather, rather than a marketing email. And I should also say, for those of you who are going, oh my God, all those timings, I need to scribble them down. We're, we've actually turned this podcast into a full transcription so you can get in black and white everything that um, Skip and I are saying uh, over at the website. And you'll find that if you head to uh, ecommercemasterplan.com forward slash podcast. So, um, so carry on listening. Don't feel you need to stop the car and start scribbling because you can download everything we've said uh, from the website. Uh, so, Skip, that was like a little mini masterclass on abandoned baskets there. Uh, and I love the fact, you know, you're saying about just starting off with the one email. It doesn't need to be complex. Just make it happen, see what happens and then optimize it. Can I, uh, can I press you for a, for a similar masterclass when it comes to, to the good old welcome program? You got a couple of tips for us? Well, unsurprisingly, I'm going to say start with one. Yay. And start with one email. <laughs> Woohoo. Um, for- for me, the, the welcome program is at the, going back to that notion that we're just trying to have human conversations, and the only difference is we're trying to do it at scale. Um, and when I speak at conferences and stuff, I sometimes do this as a demonstration, and I hand out swag, you know, some dot mailer branded thing. And whether the person wants it or not, I always get a thank you or a no thank you, because people are generally polite. And Mm -hmm. our parents taught us to say thank you. Um, And for any parents who are listening, you know that, you know, that reinforcing, teaching kids to say thank you, you have to remind them, you know, mine's 11 and I still sometimes have to remind her. But the other thing is you will say thank you to your child regardless of what they hand you. Um, When my daughter handed me a live bee, I said thank you. (laughs) The next words out of my mouth weren't quite so polite. But um, so a welcome program is at its core essence is just being polite just saying thank you somebody's giving you giving you their email address be nice say thanks the follow-up to that is now i need to get to know you a little bit so we can have a conversation and if you go back to again it's just a human conversation so you don't want to ask a load of questions you don't want to be that person you know that person you always meet them at a wedding you know especially if you're on the b list or the c list or you're the plus one and the only way they can interact uh, is to ask a load of questions. You end up talking to this person, they end up asking you a load of questions that increasingly get uncomfortable. <laughs> you don't want to be that brand. That's not you, right? So all you need is to ask a question or two so that you can start the conversation. So, you know, Chloe, the first time uh, you and I met, it was, uh, I think, at a speaking thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, actually, I think here in our office. Yeah. So, you know, we're about to be, we're about to be thrust on stage and, uh, have to appear like we've known each other for years, right? So it was, uh, you asked me a yep. couple of questions, I asked you a couple of questions, and you know suddenly we're we're best of friends, right? Um, and that's what we do. When we meet somebody. You meet somebody at, at comp- a networking event. What do you do? What does your company do? What do you sell? Whatever it is, one or two questions. You find that one thing a commonality, and you start to talk about it. And through the natural rhythm of the conversation, more questions get asked, more commonality is found, and the conversation goes on and on. Um, and then you can go one step further with starting to, you know, as humans, we would look at the body language of the person we're speaking with. Are they interested? Are they leaning forward? Are they making eye contact? Are they leaning back, arms crossed, looking over your shoulder? So you know if you're on the right track. And we can do the exact same thing in email, right? So you send first welcome. Thanks for signing up. 
tell me a little bit about yourself, ask one or two questions. Then you send the follow-up email, making sure that you reference back to what they said, what they told you, but also um, linking that into the next thing that you'd like them to tell you about, about themselves. And when they stop opening, they stop clicking, that's the digital body language of, I'm no longer interested in this, and you need to change it up. Cool, so a lot of personalization going on there with fields being dropped in and questions being asked and that kind of thing in those skip or are we are we kind of segmenting as we go and kind of like kind of creating a tree like welcome sequence i think it's a i think it's a little bit of both um so uh one of our clients has a um six stage welcome sequence which i think is um generally <laughs> you know a bit too long um but it, they're a big brand with a complex product range or a broad product range, and they want to, they don't want to, you know, they could chuck everything in the first email. It would be, you know, as long as a boardroom table and mm-hmm. never get read. So they've followed that kind of have a human conversation approach. I'm going to tell you a little bit about this, then I'm going to tell you a little bit about that, and I'm going to tell you a little bit about something else. And at each step, uh, the sales message gets increasingly uh, more salesy. Uh, until you get towards the end where they start to put in offers. But if you buy something at any point in the journey, you drop out of the journey. Because now I'm not welcoming you. Now, now I want to talk to you. Now I want to thank you for buying and I want, I want mm. to walk you through that process. So I don't want to have a welcome journey going on at the same time as a thanks for buying. That doesn't, that doesn't make sense. That well, gets a bit confusing. <laughs> yeah, conversation that just wouldn't work. Um, so, you know, they are reacting to what their customers are doing. But they can also include personalization. So, you know, if they um, if they collected, say, uh, some sort of address because they have physical locations and they want to try to get you to go into one of their physical locations, they should reference that. You know, don't send an email um, talking about stores in London to Manchester. If you don't have any stores in Manchester, then don't talk about stores. Talk about your online presence. Talk about how people can buy buy where they are. That kind of thing. So it, it really does have to be a combination combination of the two. Okay, cool. Well, uh, there's our little masterclass on the welcome program. So it does does rather strike me that the, the, it can take – well, you, of course, you can start a welcome sequence, a welcome campaign with just the one uh, email. But, of course, after that, you're investing quite a bit of time and effort in it, which means you need a fair few people to be going through it for it to be worthwhile. And that's where email capture comes in. And I'm, I'm with you on this one, Skip, what you said earlier. It occasionally baffles me how you can go onto some retailer's sites and spend five minutes trying to find their email sign-up and still fail. Uh, it's just utterly counterintuitive. Um, so... So you've obviously been finding that with some of the people you've surveyed in uh, for hitting the mark, but um, what's your what's your kind of key pointers for those looking to to get more email addresses? So, uh, key pointer number one: don't go out and buy email addresses. Um, first off, most uh, ESPs won't let you send through their platform, so you have to send it through uh, the organization that owns it. But it, it's just not it tends not to be a very cost-effective way to grow your list. And Skip, just to, to be clear on that for everybody listening, we're talking about going out and buying a list. We're not talking about advertising on Facebook or Instagram for email signups. Is that oh, right? Oh, no, a- absolutely not. Okay, Weird, cool. Because uh, I'm a huge advocate of advertising on Instagram, Facebook, anywhere that your customers or prospects tend to hang out. You should have a presence there, and you should make it as easy as possible for people to sign up. 
Uh, obviously, you know, people come to your website. I know this is going to be a shock to most of your listeners, but nobody comes to your website to sign up for your newsletter. <laughs> um, that's not why they're there. Um, apart from me. <laughs> yeah, but apart from the, those of us who are a little weird who do that for a living. Um, but so, <clears throat> so burying it makes no sense because nobody's come to do, to sign up. So nobody's really going to look for it. Um, by the same token, uh, you want to make it as easy as possible for people who want to sign up. So, you know, one of the things that is universally hated and works universally well is a pop-up. <laughs> uh, so true. Pop-up email capture is like, you ask any marketer and they're like, no, I hate them. Yes, but they work and they work in B2B. They work in B2C. They just work. Um, so if a client says I can do, I can afford to do one thing, that's the thing I'm going to uh, suggest they do. Now you need to be a bit clever, uh, about it. Um, so, uh, Google has started looking at, um, pop-ups in relation to mobile devices and how much screen, uh, how much of the screen they take up and that kind of thing. And so you can get a search rankings ding if you don't do it properly. Um, I kind of tend to tell clients definitely test turning your pop-up off for people on mobile devices, mostly because again, filling out a form on your phone, not terribly easy. Um, you're going to, your, the quality of the data you're going to get is probably not going to be as good as you would, uh, on a desktop device. Um, also keep in mind that people are coming to buy and your goal is to get them to buy. So if somebody is coming in from a search into a deep page, you know, a product specific page, don't put a pop up there because if they put that in the basket and you capture the email address as the first part of the checkout, then you've got it anyway. And you, you haven't really helped yourself. Um, you might want to do one on, uh, a pop-up and this is a bit more sophisticated, but you can build in pop-up logic that is actually, it pops up on exit. So the site mm. algorithm figures out that you're, the customer's about to exit. And if they're exiting off a product page, especially if they've put something in the, um, in their basket, then yeah, you definitely want to, um, go ahead, interrupt them, try to get that email address so you can do the abandoned basket. Um, but if they're just arriving on the page, that's not the time to be throwing a pop-up in because um, all you're doing is distracting them and slowing them down from from achieving what they want to achieve. Cool. And any um, advice for our e-commerce audience here on what sort of things to put as an offer in their pop-up? Because I'm, I'll be honest, I'll, I'll, I'll declare my hand first. I'm a big fan of not incentivizing the email sign-up, of saying, we'll send you great information about our products sign up rather than going here's 15% off 20% off or free P&P have you got any any um thoughts on that skip about whether people should dive in with an offer or whether they should go for the kind of the more branding approach I agree with you I I, I'm always reluctant to go in with an offer first in in anything um you know anybody that puts an offer in the first uh or potentially any of their abandoned basket emails is just looking to give money away because you'll very quickly teach people to abandon the basket to get the offer. Um, mm -hmm. When it comes to the pop-up, uh, again, um, I would always test not having an offer. You know, people ought to want to get your content. Um, if you have to kind of buy their love, then they're not going to be very loyal, realistically. 
and they're probably not going to be a very good email subscriber in the long run. Um, that said, if you have a very clear understanding of the value of an email address, and this is something that we work on with clients all the time, is determining what the value of an email address is and the value of an email address that purchases is, um, then it does give you a sense of how much of an offer you, you could give. Um, so giving a blind offer, I think is, is silly, but if you've got a clear understanding of what that email address is worth to you, uh, and want to give a little incentive, so you're still making money in the, in the long run, um, but giving up a little margin on the front end to, to get that list size, then that's, that's a worthwhile thing to test. Yeah. And I think there's, um, there's some product categories in which it can work quite well as well. You know, if you're in a very price competitive, offer competitive, uh, product category, then you know you're 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 probably probably going to want to test out that offer to make sure you get people there. And I know of, I know of a couple of people. We had um, uh, Bonnie from Miso Tasty who sells miso soup on the podcast. Gosh, well over a year ago now. But because she's trying to encourage people to try a new taste that the majority of the British public aren't really aware of how what miso tastes like, um, mm. she's found it very useful to have an offer in order to encourage someone to test out the product. You know, so her first product, I think. Her smallest product costs about two pounds. You get ten percent off the two pound product with free P and P. So she uses it in that way. But yeah, I, I think for ninety percent of businesses, if not higher, it's certainly a um, try and avoid buying yourself customers who are addicted to the discounting. Yeah, and and in B two B commerce, um, you know, as well, B two B e commerce uh, players have a slightly different. Uh, environment within which to live because they probably also have some content that they could give away for free. Mm-hmm. So you know their incentive is, oh, give us your email address, we'll send you this white paper on office supplies or something, um, and then you know give it that way. So if you've got something to give away for that you can give away that doesn't cost you anything, again, that's that's a a, a positive thing as well. I think on that note, it might be a good point in time for us to wrap up our debates. So as, um, Skip, you can let everybody know where they can, um, download your freebie in return for their email address. And, um, and I think I should say we have, uh, I think Skip, we've, we've barely scratched the surface of what's in the hitting the mark report, haven't we? There is a lot of case studies and examples in there, a lot more data and things which you can, you know, take a look at, get inspiration from. So I heartily recommend going and get yourself a copy and it is free. But um, Skip, where can the listeners find that report? Where, where can they find out more about you and um, Dot Mailer? So they can get um, a copy of the report and it's actually a the e-commerce master plan uh, version, uh, which is the same as the rest of the versions, but we wanted to give give you a bit of, uh, uh, you know, recognition for, uh, and thank you for having us on. Um, and you can find that at dotmailer.com forward slash e-commerce master plan. Um, and, and you're right, there is, um, this is not your average, uh, corporate white paper. This is 200, almost 250 Oof. pages of in-depth analysis on a hundred brands, um, with, you know, trends and, and, and high level stuff at the front. Um, the, the team's worked really hard on it. They've done a great job on it this year. It's, it's as, as we like to say, a weighty tome. It, and it is a, a marvelous weighty tome as well. I mean, I think it's pretty much required reading for anybody looking to improve their e-commerce marketing in the, their email e-commerce marketing. And that's all of you listening. 
because you can always improve your email marketing just that little bit more. You can add a few more sales, you can add a little bit more ROI. So um, I'll add the link to that. And as I said, the tra- full transcript of this is available right in the blog post um, for you to go and have a read of, print out, do whatever you want to do with it, really. Uh, that's in the show notes too. So Master Plan World, you can find all of that at ecommercemasterplan.com forward slash podcast. Go to the website, click on the podcast tab or use the search box. But if you want to go and dive straight into the report, head over to dotmailer.com forward slash ecommerce master plan and uh, ring fence a few hours to uh, to really get your head around all the great information that's in there to help you Im- improve your sales through the rest of 2017. Well, Skip, uh, it's just left for me to say a massive thank you to you for coming on the show today and, um, and help not only giving us insight to what's in hitting the mark, but giving us, I think we got to four masterclasses, didn't we? Payments in the email masterclass, the abandoned baskets masterclass, welcome programs and email capture. So, um, a, a bumper episode. So thank you hugely. Oh, thank you for having me. It's been great. Well, I thoroughly enjoyed hearing all those tips and tricks from um, from Skip, especially because that biggest opportunity the, is the number of larger businesses who aren't doing abandoned baskets, which are proven again and again to work. The number of businesses who aren't doing a welcome program, which is proven again and again to work. The number of businesses who are finding it hard to get signups or, or not enabling their customers to sign up to their emails. Again, something which is easy and cheap to fix, something which everybody listening could get all of those put in place in a matter of weeks, months, possibly days, if you've, if you've got that, that time available. They're not difficult to do. Skip has just given you some great pointers on all three of them. And as I said, you can get the full transcript of this at the on the show notes page, which you'll find via ecommercemasterplan.com forward slash podcast. If you've got thoughts and ideas you'd like to share about this one, then head over to the Facebook group at ecommercemasterplan.com forward slash Facebook. And um, many of you probably already know, but I've recently put live uh, a couple of checklists, which uh, you you have to give me your email address in return for them. But you'll find those. I'll put, put links to those on the show notes page for this one as well. And there's a checklist about increasing your email signups. And there's another checklist about welcome sequences. So go and c- grab those. Grab the transcript. Tell us all about it in the Facebook post. Oh, and don't forget to grab the Hitting the Mark e-commerce master plan edition by uh, heading over to dotmailer.com forward slash e-commerce master plan as well, which the link for that will also be on e-commerce master plan.com forward slash podcast. So um, plenty of <laughs> plenty of links there for you. So just to be clear, you can find everything we've talked about if you go to the show notes, which are e-commerce master plan.com forward slash podcast. And I would love to... Um, to hear what you thought of this podcast and any of our others by if you come along and join our Facebook group, which you'll find via ecommercemasterplan.com forward slash Facebook. Now, make sure you come back next time to hear from Letterbox for Use, Dominic Poznanski, as he explains how he shifted his business from eBay to WooCommerce. Yes, a shift from a marketplace to his own site, which I know a lot of you are interested in, and how he's been creating 80% year-on-year growth in his business, selling letterboxes. Well, have a great week, all of you, and don't forget to keep optimising. Thank you for listening to the E-Commerce Master Plan podcast. Find out more at ecommercemasterplan.com.